On this podcast, you're going to be hearing some pretty terrible subject matter. We know what you're thinking. That's why we're here. Keep going. However, topics covered may cause emotional or physiological distress to listeners and discretion is advised. Sources for this episode can be found in the show notes. Welcome back, everyone, to That's Terrible. Keep going. I'm your co-host, Casey Kay. I'm your other co-host, Amy Kay. And this is the second week of April. And again, another Australian case. Uh, And, Greggy, I know you like all things spooky. Yes, I do. And this one made my timbers shiver when I came across it. (laughs) And this is, again, an Australian case and actually our first fire-related terrible case. Okay, okay. I also have a visual prompt there ready um, at a point in the case that I'll need you to help describe to listeners because it's pretty spooky, but don't touch it yet. Get those sticky fly fingers away. Is it a picture with you without makeup? Stunning and natural. Spooky. Oh, (laughs) no, unfortunately not. Um, None of our listeners need to hear about that. Uh, Anyway, so we dive in. Yep, let's go. This case is the 1979 Sydney Ghost Train Fire. Oh. (laughs) Have you heard of it? I just don't like being... In the thought of being stuck on ghost train or anything like that. Um, I actually have heard of it. Yes, I think you have. We'll go in because it's a famous Australian one. So maybe our offshore listeners, our global, uh, you know, pod pod lovers are out there are going, oh, I haven't heard about this one. But um, I also chose this as this because... <laughs> Unbeknownst to our listeners, you actually have your own little brush with death inside a spooky amusement ride, don't you? That's why I gave you those little eyebrow raises before. (laughs) I didn't want to tell it, but when I said it, she gave me these piercing, from her piercing blue eyes, she looked at me like, don't you dare. Um, Did you want to share it with the listeners before we dive in? Uh, Not really, but you're going to make me. Yes. Um. We were, how old was I? I think you were a pup doll. You would have been um, between, let's just say, four and seven. Yeah, which makes you guys even worse. <laughs> we were on school holidays and we went to Luna Park in Melbourne. No, which, it wasn't Luna Park. Wasn't it oh, Melbourne Show? Oh, I thought Melbourne? it was Luna Park. Well, go on, tell us. Well, it was at the Mummy Show ride at the Melbourne Show, which is just like a I don't know how you describe it as non-listeners. You know, like a show, carnival, Yeah, it was like an amusement place or like a fairground. Like our Melbourne shows, you're like carnival ground. And it was following the Mummy movie, I it think. It was, Mummy 1999. 2. Oh, not, oh, so Mummy 2 with Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weiss. The yeah. Renaissance is making a comeback. Anyway, it was the one with like actual actors that go through and go like, you know, wrapped in old school mummy stuff. And there's all these strings hanging down from the roof to make it look like an old tomb. And we were in like a Congo line. You guys are in front of me and you very nicely, (laughs) kindly put me at the back. And we were going, walking through the line and these people would come out and scare us and all these things would pop out. And then uh, this mummy was coming behind us, an actor, and going like, ah. And I was so little and so scared (laughs) and was like screaming, tried to run up to you guys. But one of the strings coming down went in like a U shape. So back down and up, looped around and I... Run straight into it and it got caught on my throat and I was like choking. 
And you guys wouldn't stop because you were scared of the mummy and it, like, cut my throat. I know. So it's actually a laugh because in that context, when you hear screaming and stuff, it's like everyone's supposed to be screaming. <laughs> there is little Amy K. Greggy, uh, before she was a famous podcaster, getting strangled by props in the sk- And we come out and we're a little bit of ahead of her. She comes out bawling her eyes out, that, red in the face. That is BS, like... I swear you saw that I was crying <laughs> and screaming. You guys used to bully me when I was little and no. I swear that you wanted me to die in there. No. <laughs> Look, this is not an early young trauma podcast. <laughs> Perhaps we can start another podcast. But it was really funny. Our Nana had actually taken us to the Melbourne show and she was mortified when we got out. But it's it's always, the, you know, what are younger sisters for if not the butt of all jokes and the butt of life? Yes. Really. Anyway, so I, I did this on purpose just to tease you, Greg, and also to actually bring it to another area of our wonderful country. And we're going to go to Sydney, Australia today. So our case actually takes us to an amusement park in Australia called Luna Park. And this particular Luna Park is nestled under the iconic Harbour Bridge in Sydney, Australia, which opened its famous mouth gates at the end of 1935. Did you know that the, not to brag because we're from Melbourne, but uh, the Lunar Park in Melbourne opened earlier in 1912? Yes. Yes, Melbourne. Melbourne, yes. Uh, Then our friends in South Australia opened in 1930. So Sydney's the last Lunar Park to kind of open its mouth gate. (laughs) So anyway, Lunar Park, Lunar Park, in case you don't know, is an iconic amusement park and tourist destination here in Australia, home to exhilarating rides, sideshows and games. Very recognisable by the massive expressive clown face that forms the entrance to the park, which has park goers entering through the open mouth. It's actually pretty creepy. If I was, I remember as a kid, I didn't like it. Yeah, neither. And definitely the depiction of it back in the 70s was creepy as hell. Anyway, like many amusement parks and fairgrounds, Luna Park has been riddled with closures, accidents, protests, land grabs for nearly 100 years now. Mm. So did you know that even in the quiet season of the year, the Luna Park's actually closed for a few months for deeper maintenance, fresh coats of paints and other upsorted upkeeps or upgrades? I didn't know that. Yeah, so keep that in mind. That's why sometimes in winter you can't see it on our beautiful um, foreshore in St Kilda, or kind of our foreshore, in, inland a little bit, you can't see it open because, um, yeah, it's down for maintenance. Yeah, right. But we digress. I just thought I'd just foreshadow that in there. It's So it's um, one of our favorite famous rides that is pertinent in today's case, which is the actual ghost train. So we can all picture it, I think. Mm. A bit about this particular ghost train, though. So featured in Sydney, it was actually designed and constructed in 1931 at the Lunar Park in Glenelg, South Australia. So that's in South Australia um, near Adelaide. So shout out to our gorgeous cousins in Adelaide. Um, But the ride was transported to Milsons Point, New South Wales along with all these other rides and reassembled prior to Luna Park, Sydney's first opening in... Re... Sorry. Did you say... Do you say reassemble? Well, I assume you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> reassemble, you mean? Well, you tell me... A teacher, teacher, teacher. You yes. tell me how to say... I would say reassemble. <laughs> anyway, continue. Now I'm embarrassed and I'm <clears throat> blushing. Uh, anyway, Joel, um, I will resume... <laughs> 
<laughs> so the Luna Park Sydney's first opening in October 1935. The ride was one of the most popular, uh, you know, in the park and featured many twists and turns that yanked passengers along in their little carriages in that 180 metre electric track. With- if, if you haven't been on one, you got to do it. Oh, it's so shit, but it's, it's so, so good. good. Yeah, you're not wrong, Dom. I'd still go on it again. Oh, now. same, same. And but and like what what happened to you? It actually had cobwebs hanging and scary figures leap leaping out at riders, that sort of thing. You know what can stay away though? The actors. <laughs> Yeah, the I know. That, and yeah, they like when they don't break out of character. <laughs> anyway, continue. again, trauma, trauma, yeah. mercy, mercy, you. Uh, the ride was lined with an array of sight and sound exhibits meant to scare riders, like the dancing skeletons, an ape monster, a dragon's head, the graveyard Dracula, and also a skeleton in the box. You can just hear the. Can oh, that sounds like a monkey. You know that spooky laugh. Yeah, you're not oh, giving you me. Give it, you give it a go then. No. no. <laughs> I think last week's episode, <laughs> like that. Yes. Well, I think we'll go back to theatre lessons. No, but last episode I I was singing, and I think a lot of people we lost a few listeners. Oh, you certainly lost me. <laughs> so the ride sidetrack actual says at the front, um, like the sign, it said, there's a lots of ghosts in here. You'll shiver and quake in the ghost train. So that was like, you know, on the marquee. Mm-hmm. Most of the two and a half minute ride was a disorienting pitch black, something which helped conceal the ride's age. A little prop station inside the, that um, was visible to passengers was labelled Hell's Railway Station. Mm. Also eerily foreshadowing, it also featured a fake fireplace, which according to writers of the night it burned down, was where the destructive fire originated. This fireplace was found in a caged area with which writers would enter, but before re-entering the ride. So you saw it right at the start. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, let's quickly talk about now the day of the fire for some of our ride goers. So we now fast forward to the 9th of June, 1979 at approximately 10, 10 p.m. winter here in Australia. And at this point, most of the rides were actually over 40 years old. Remember, because they opened in 1930, all of some of the original rides were are now still open and operating, but pretty old. Yeah, gotcha. 35 people happened to board this run on the ride, all strapping into their carriages. We have the gods and family who were on a big day out in Sydney. Um, they went to Taronga Zoo first in the day and they they then finished their night with some fun at Luna Park. John, 30 years old, the father, and another Damien. We had a Damien last week, so he was six, and Craig, four, the sons. They were so excited for the ride and just by chance, Jenny, their mum, for some reason had a sudden urge in the moment to have an ice cream. So she actually opted not to go on the ride. Mm, That's some final destination. I know. There's always like that one weird thing in the story and she says, quote, it was the most bizarre thing. I asked the boys if they wanted an ice cream and they said, no. So off they went with their father and that was that. Mm. I know. John and his two sons sat in their seat behind four boys from Waverley College, New South Wales. Um, these boys were actually on an excursion organised by their school. The boys aged between 13 and 14. Their names, Jonathan Billings, Richard Carroll, Michael Johnson and Seamus Rahili. Um, now we talk about the terrible incident itself. So this is in the evening in June in winter at approximately 10.15pm, passengers right at the front of the ride began to wriggle around, stretching their heads out to see behind them. 
looking at the ceiling, all puzzled, going, does anyone smell smoke? Mm. Uneasiness flowed through the carriages to the other ride goers, and all of them began to smell it and began darting their eyes around to find the surface of the smell. Park staff and security outside the ride at this point noticed something out of ordinary, but then thick, oh sorry, they noticed nothing out of ordinary, but then thick black smoke came out of the doors and the fires began to emerge out of the centre of the train, which houses the cupboards of the electrical points and the maintenance for the ride. Mm, Jeez. The passengers, meanwhile, had no idea of this, but they they were now surrounded by thick black smoke and the heat of the fire. Oh, my gosh. People began crying out for help, and it's not reported on whether the attending staff heard or not because it's a scary ride. So much like what happened to you when you were screaming, perhaps misattributed screams to, like, the trick of the ride itself yes so, oh that's horrible uh, that's that's what makes this absolutely terrible but keep going mm, yes but the ride itself kept going as well it kept moving forward so john godson must have thought the only chance of survival was to find he and his own kids way out mm. and when you're in there you don't know the maze that is the ghost train you don't know left or right forward back ending no, it's yeah. a surprise it's yep Yeah, he forced open the restraints on the cart and he and his kids climbed over the sides of the cart. Visibility is getting worse and worse in there now. He grabs their little hands and sought to find the emergency exit. How old were the kids again? Remember, they were like um, between four and six, I think. Oh, yeah. The four students from Waverley College saw what John was doing and it's unclear if John encouraged them to come or not, but they were determined to get out also and follow the Godson's direction. Remember, the ghost train actually hasn't stopped yet and it's still moving forward with the remaining passengers in their carriages on board. Mm. Remember, this is 1979 where these type of places were all built with wood, really old-fashioned inside, and also they may not have had emergency lighting and backup things that that acted into play when they they sent smoke. You're you're painting a real picture here, doll, let me tell you. A real grim picture. It just reminds me literally of that Final Destination movie. Oh, creepy. Screaming and just... Well, you asked me for a scary, spooky one. Yeah. Ask and you shall receive. Mm -hmm. I would like $100. Uh, denied. Uh, <laughs> meanwhile, Jenny is working working her way back to the ghost train with her ice creams oh. and sees the terrible sight of the ghost train and all the smoke and the flames with her t- entire family inside. I know. Also, finally, the staff react and are running around connecting, trying to contact emergency services and also keep the public at a secure distance from the ride. Mm. Park attendants try to get access to their own hoses and also some of them are like umming and ahhing about, oh, you know, if they run in, can they, um, you know, help them? But the heat and the fire was so, in, so, so intense that they couldn't barely approach it at all. Mm. They finally get their own hoses to the rides, but a very stri- like weak stream flows out. Like think of like a tiny pew pew water mm. pistol. Like nothing's coming out of these hoses to help. The public looking on were shocked. Luna Park's fire management system is miserably unequipped to deal with a potential danger and they had to wait till the Sydney Fire Brigade rocked up. Mm. The glow of the fire was apparently visible all around the harbour. Have you been to the Sydney Luna Park? 
No. It's right, it's right out, literally on the water, um, like a long sort of a horizontal slip. Like ours looks like a big square mm. or circle here in Melbourne, but theirs is a long carnival-sized shape um, right on the water. So you would have been able to see that on all the other areas of the harbour. Anyway, black smoke plumed into the sky. Miraculously, even as the fire raged on, the cart continued to function and eventually burst through the doors as it reached the end of the ride. As it burst through, though, so did massive plumes of black smoke. The interior of the ride was completely engulfed in flames and passengers said that when they were approaching the final door to burst through, that that door, you can imagine those big black wooden sort of doors, um, it was covered in flames four metres high. So they were about to go hit it. So did they stay in the carriages they, the, except for John and the boys? John and the Waverly boys. John's his sons and the Waverly boys tried to get out themselves. Staff immediately reached to, weak, to the weak and terrified ride goers that were coming out of their carriages. Heaps of them were carried by their bodies to safe spots um, so that they could be attended to. So 28 passengers had made it out at this point. But that means seven passengers were still missing. Mm. So Sydney firefighters had arrived and were met with the same problem. The water pressure was too low at the site. They had to pipe up the seawater from the Sydney Harbour (sighs) in their vehicles to try and get this out. They battled the fire for around 25 minutes. Because remember, it's not like they can run in straight away. Yeah, yeah. The heat, it is hot. So they were battling it for around 25 minutes and were then able to race into the burning ride. There was still smoke and haze and they were unsure of the layout inside itself. So they themselves had to follow what was left of the tracks so inside it's not like they've got oh here's a layout for the ghost train or like hey this is the layout of a house that you would normally sort of know your way around like okay we'll go to the kitchen we'll look for this the ghost train's like a maze for them like a Mm. fiery hazy maze they followed the tracks as best they could to orient themselves through they eventually came across the grisly discovery of two clusters of bodies oh no the Godsons were huddled together in one area. John must have been trying to shield his little boys because his body was draped over Damien and Craig. Mm. And those very young teenagers from the co- the college were found huddled together in another spot. That's so sad. Yeah. Investigators believe that they had lost their way in the dark and succumbed to smoke insul- inhalation. You just pray that it was quick. Like I Mm. hope that before they weren't burnt that they lost oxygen first. Like you just hope. It's been terrifying. Mm. Meanwhile, Jenny, the mum, was desperately looking for her family and screaming for help when quietly a boy named Jason, a student from Waverley College, came beside her. He decided to not go with the other four boys when they abandoned their carriage for some (gasps) reason. Yeah, neither Jenny or Jason in that moment had an idea that they had lost their entire party with whom they had entered the park with that night. Oh, my gosh. And now a little bit of silver lining here, but for years to come, Jenny and Jason actually connected and stayed in touch and became lifelong friends. Mm. But isn't it just that small moments in fate that said, no, I won't go there, I'll stay here or whatever it is. So the park was shut down immediately after the incident for a federal investigation. Before the fire, get this, a Sydney design consultant stated that he had advised Lunar Park Management to install a sprinkler system in the ghost train in December 1977, so nearly two Mm -hmm. years prior, following an inspection of the park for potential renovations. But 
of course, the management at Luna Park did not follow these recommendations. No, naughty. So what actually happened and how did the fire start? A coronial inquest into the incident did not determine the, the cause of the fire, although it was to demonstrate that the ride's permanent wiring and attractions were not the source of the ignition. So, hmm, not an electrical fire. Coroner Kevin Anderson found that Luna Park's management had failed to develop an adequate fire suppression system, um, despite recommendations by the council and the fire department 18 months earlier. Anderson's report stated that while the park owners and management had failed in their duty of care towards patrons, the failure was not that, quote, that high degree of negligence necessary to support a charge of criminal negligence, which is BS. So it's basically saying, yeah, you should have created a fire system, but it's not criminal negligence for like, you know, non-involuntary homicide or manslaughter. So Mm. No criminal charges were actually filed, but soon after this, the current managers lost their lease of the site and new managers took hold. So that's unsurprising. What the heck happened? So now our episode takes a wild twist into two conspiracy theories. Get this doll. Demons or gangsters? (laughs) What's your gut feel? Gangsters. Okay, damn it. <laughs> I reckon if I asked our brother Mackie if it was demons or gangsters, he would say gangsters as well. So you're mm. both not fun. But I'm going to start with the spooky demon story because I thought this was exciting. Okay, so after the incident, unfortunately, when Jenny got back home to her rural, rural town after her family trip to Sydney, she remembered the role of undeveloped film still in the camera from her family's adventure. Imagine how hard that would have been to look through. Upon finally getting it produced, she went through a whirlwind of emotions looking at the photos but immediately stopped when she looked at one particular photo. Remember I said the prompt, so get ready, Greg. She said the photo made her blood run cold. It was the last ever photo taken of her young son, Damien, where he poses with a really uneasy expression on his face next to an intimidating figure. So that little piece of paper next to you, doll. Mm, I've um, got shivers down my spine. I know. This one gives me the heebie-jeebies. Amy with her nice manicured um, ballerina-shaped fingernails is opening up a piece of paper if you would be so kind doll now oh so that little so what we're looking at i'll be your eyes and then you can tell me how you feel the fig what is it is is a photo of little damien a boy about hip height with a figure dressed only in leopard print loincloth shirtless and muscular wearing a scary demonic looking face full face covering mask and this mask is not like a funny thing that you would find at a costume store it's like a cow-like thing with horns either side um it's almost like something like you would picture from like an occult or like a scary nightmare thing yes Um, it's like almost all from a real animal tell me what you're feeling doll Oh, it's so spooky. They sort of look like they've, yeah, I don't know. It's like a, what you said, but with long hair. Like, yeah. And long it, hair and horns and he's look, and little Damien's looking really scared and the figure's just sort of holding his shoulder. It's so creepy. Like it has no eye, it has no human eyes. It's just black cutouts. Ugh, it's just, it's super. And it's just something about the mask that it's not cartoon. It looks like it could be almost parts of a real animal. Like it's something that you'd see on like American Horror Story. It's barbaric. Yeah, it really is. Like pagan-like. It's really scary. So 
Jenny couldn't rem- even remember the picture being taken, but she does remember that day that along the harbour that there was a group of entertainers walking through and moving and dancing in what was kind of like what she described as like a folk style or folk sensibilities. So it wasn't like it was a part of a parade. It just happened to be this group of like what could have been street entertainers just walking through that popular area in Sydney. Mm. She remembers that the leader of the group of the somewhat performers was this cow-like figure. And apparently he had stopped his dancing and promptly stared at the young Damien and came to approach and ultimately stood over young Damien and placed his hand over his shoulder while John, unfortunately, the the late father, took the photo. Mm. We'll post it on our Instagram so you guys can get shivers in your timbers too. Um, But Jenny shared this photo with all the people around her and the investigators with which At some point amongst it all, the figure in the photo was now being compared to the ancient demon or god, depending on whatever you believe, and now this ancient being is called a Moloch, which is a biblical name of a Canaanite god associated with child sacrifice, get this, through fire and war. So this monstrous deity, idol or demon is often portrayed as a bull-headed figure with outstretched hands over a fire and associated with a very heavy sacrifice in many accounts being the ultimate sacrifice of a child sacrificial um, sacrifice through fire. My timbers are officially shivered. I knew you'd love this doll in the creepiest, terrible kind of love. Um, But some of the visuals and descriptions say that the figure itself was a bronzed oven in which children entered to be burnt alive. So we'll post, again, the sort of pagan or, I guess, deity version of this on our Instagram um, for this episode. So, And I also get it. I get the thinking of like it sounds wild and far-fetched and maybe a leap of faith of a grieving mother. Like I get that as well. Mm. Like you're clutching at straws because it's the ultimate innocence in our life, like young children gone. But others couldn't let it go either. The neighbouring rides of the – which were the river caves and the Big Dipper, had no significant damage to them whatsoever. It was just this one ride. So it was all adding to the conspiracy of it all. Mm. I also thought this could be somewhat wrapped up in the satanic panic era. Yeah. But in which this was an era we haven't covered it on the podcast where moral like panic consisting of over, you know, around, so I think in North America, 1,200 thousand unsubstantiated cases of satanic ritual abuse and the rise of popularity of dark themes in music and arts, a whole cultural wave, if you will. But Grego, that panic didn't take place until around the 80s and that was up in America before it kind of trickled down globally. Remember, this was 1979, so just before that. Yeah. So park this one but was it some child sacrifice and Damien and then the other children were the target I don't Mm, know what's the other theory so yeah now we get to our next one which is the gangster so at this time Australian cities of Melbourne and Sydney shared a little title with Newark and Jersey in the United States 
but not a good title. It's an embarrassing one. We were being in the top five corrupt cities in the world. Mm. So anyone that loves the type like gangster true crime, mobster true crime, underbelly, all of that jazz, we um, would remember a figure called Roger Rogerson. And he was in New South Wales wreaking unchecked havoc in the streets and police and politicians doing all kinds of dodgy things. So it was a kind of a rampant error for this um, in that time. But for our, and like many people left Sydney, like wives and their children left Sydney to flee to Melbourne at that time as well. But for our case, we focus on a particular person named Abraham Abe Saffron, a crime lord and underworld figure who some claim hired men to start the fire, then paid the lead detective in the investigation to cover up the true case or the true cause. Why did he do it though? Some say Abe hoped to be able to use the Lunar Park land for himself because it was such a, it is, still is today, such a good spot on the harbour. And according to former park artist Martin Sharp, he claimed that Saffron had approached the Lunar Park's owner, Ted Hopkins, several years before the fire, offering to buy the park due to its lucrative position. As recent as in 2007, Saffron's niece, Anne Buckingham, claimed her uncle was behind the fire, but that he hadn't expected anyone to die in the blaze. However, she later denied making this statement. So I don't know. Uh, yeah. After she had a good talking to. Yeah. Saffron was allegedly connected. At, this is interesting too. He was actually connected to seven other fires in the two years following the ghost train disaster. Mm. So this little, you know, mobster MO. But even still to this day, the cause of the fire has never been established. As as recently as 2021, a unique $1 million reward for information about the Denley Lunar Park ghost train fire is on offer and can be claimed even if the tip does not lead to a charge of conviction, which is interesting because mm. usually t- tips are only offered if the charge leads to conviction. It's a lot of money too. Oh, it is, which means... It makes me think that the recent investigators must know that the early investigations were botched. Yes. And that something nefarious was going on. There was enough evidence to say that it wasn't an electrical fire. It wasn't just like a spark or a human accident, like a, just an accident. They know something sus. Yeah. So they're hoping that maybe that will lure someone out. I hope so. For it to actually go forth as a new inquiry, though, investigators must submit new evidence. So that's where it currently lays now. Mm-hmm. So finishing off with what remains in memory of the terrible tragedy, as I mentioned quickly above, the Lunar Park closed following the fire and, and much of it was demolished, so that area and stuff like that. The site later reopened under a different name before resuming the Lunar Park title. So it stopped being Lunar Park quickly, but then it came back to Lunar Park. Mm. Today, the park has new owners and the big top concert venue stands where the ghost train was once burned. The victims of the disaster are remembered through a plaque on the one of the Big Top's walls and memorials to the deceased can also be found in the Art Barton Park and the and also the chapel at the Waverley College, which to this day on June the 9th every year, they still fly their flag half-mast in honour of the young boys that lost their lives. That's nice. Yeah, that gives me a bit of um, goosebumps as well thinking about that. But that's the end of that, and that's the end of our second Australian case. I hope you're spooked, and I hope you like the little trauma um, reveal from Amy Kay at the start. I I do like a bit of spooky stories. Yeah, but if you wanted to look at those photos of this case, it comes out a couple of hours after our episode's released, and you can find that at? On the Instagram, TTKG Podcast. 
And from TTKG, we're going to say TTYL. And if you are stuck in a ghost train, please stay in your carriage and keep going. Goodbye. Bye. Wait, don't go. If you like us or want us to keep going, please help us with a like, share, rate or review of our podcast. This helps us reach more listener friends and would mean so much to our little podcast.